Just a few weeks ago, the lists were released of the most popular names over the, the past year in the UK. And so in 2022, the most popular girls' names were Amelia, Isla, Ava, Mia, Ivy, Lily, Isabella, Rosie, Sophia, and Grace. And the 10 most popular boys' names in the UK were Oliver, George, Arthur, Noah, Muhammad, Leo, Oscar, Harry, Archie, and Jack. But how do you choose a name? When a baby arrives into your family, arrives into your life, what are the reasons that you have for giving that child a particular name? I want you to imagine today what it would be like if you were out shopping in Tesco or Sainsbury's or Asda, if you were maybe walking down the street here in Connor or in Kells, or even if you were here at church and there was a, a parent with a newborn baby girl and you said, what a lovely wee girl, what's her name? And that baby was introduced to you as having the name Bitter. If the person said, yes, this is my daughter and her name is Bitter, and you would think, really? And yet, that's a name that we hear right at the end of chapter 1 in the book of Ruth, a chapter that we've been reading together today. It's a name change that a woman called Naomi gives herself. And today, what we're going to think about in church for just a while is we want to find out why she gave herself this unlikely name. And we want to then think about what that has to do with Christmas. It doesn't seem to have much to do with Christmas when you first hear it, but we want to think about what this has to do with the birth of Christ on that first Christmas. So, I would love you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ruth chapter 1, because I thought that this year on the run-up to Christmas, instead of looking at the New Testament and looking at one of the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus, that we could use this time leading up to Christmas to think about this incredible wee book of Ruth. And when I mentioned that at the prayer meeting on Wednesday evening and said that we were going to look at Ruth, a number of people said to me at the end, oh, that's great. That'll be brilliant to look at that book. It's not a book that I've actually preached all the way through before, but I've certainly touched upon this book at times, not least a number of years ago here in Connor on the lead up to Christmas, when we thought about the mothers of Jesus, the women who are mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. But as I've encountered this book down through the years, as I've heard people in various churches talking about this book, what becomes really clear is that this is a book that people have a lot of love for. There is a lot of love for the book of Ruth. And I think the reason why that's the case is because there is actually a lot of love in the book of Ruth. But if you were to read those first five verses of the book again that I was reading just a few moments ago, you might begin to wonder why this book is as popular as it is. Because today we're going to look together at the really bad news that we encounter in the opening five verses of this book. And as we do that, we're going to then think about good reasons for us 
spending time together in this book on Sundays on the lead up to Christmas. So here's the bad news in the opening part of the book of Ruth, and it comes thick and fast. The first piece of bad news is actually not immediately obvious, but it comes in the first seven words of the book. Believe me, the words that we read right at the start are indeed bad news. This is how the book begins. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. And this book of Ruth, because it's quite small, it can be hard to find in the Bible, but it sits there right next to the book of Judges. And it's appropriate that it does because Ruth is set in the same time as the book of Judges. All of the events that we read about in this book happened when the judges were ruling over Israel. And that is bad news because the time of the judges was a really dark and bad period for the people of God. We spent quite a bit of time on Sunday evenings a couple of years ago looking together through the events of the book of Judges, and we discovered that there is so much bad news, there is so much darkness in that book and during this time. I remember once when we were down south, Belan and I were listening to the radio, and it was the RTE News on, and we had a bit of a laugh because there was a reporter giving the story of a trial that had happened in a, a town in the Republic of Ireland. And during the report, the reporter said that the judge had said that the defendant had lost the run of himself. And I just thought that's a great phrase to use for a judge to use in court. But we're familiar with that phrase. We say that sometimes of people, don't we? You know, your man there, he has lost the run of himself. Or we say, that, that girl there, she has lost the plot. They're making it up as they go along. And what we need to understand is that in the Bible, the time of the judges, the time in which this book of Ruth was set was a time when people had lost the run of themselves. They had lost the plot. They were making it up as they went along. In fact, if you look back in the book of Judges, there is a summary that recurs in that book. For example, in chapter 17, verse 6 of Judges, we're told of that time. In those days, Israel had no king. And it says that everyone did as he saw fit. Or if you're looking at your Bible and it is the old King James Version or it's the ESV, it says there, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's a good way of describing it. And when you hear that summary of the time of the judges, is that not a perfect summary of the time that we live in, our time and our society? That this is a time when people have lost the plot, people are making it up as they go along, people are doing things as they see fit according to what they think about the world. And that's the first good reason for us looking at this book of Ruth together, because it's so incredibly relevant. Within this book, 
we're going to meet good and faithful people who were still seeking to live by God's law in a time when most people had forgotten about God's law, who were still seeking to live the right kind of life when many other people had forgotten all about God. And so, what a brilliant example these people who we're going to meet in the book of Ruth provide for us if we're seeking to live by God's law at a time when so many people have forgotten all about it. And back in the book of Judges, there's another repeated phrase. For example, in in chapter 2 and verse 11, it says of God's people at that time, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, do you see the link between that verse and the previous verse that we have looked at in Judges? It's a case of two sets of eyes, the eyes of the people, people doing things as they see fit, and the eyes of God, what He regards as being right and wrong. And so, I simply ask you today, are you listening to the world more than you're listening to the Word? Do you seek to live according to what you think is right and wrong and what you decide life should look like, or are you seeking to live by God's laws and what He has declared is right and is wrong? Is it a case of your eyes or His eyes? So, this is a good story that is set in a really bad time, but then there's a second piece of bad news, and it comes very quickly in the next part of verse 1. We're told there was a famine in the land, and we're so familiar in, in this time of pictures of famines in Africa, and we get to see all too clearly the devastation that a famine causes. And it's at this stage in the story that we're introduced to a family from among God's people. In verse 2, we meet this man, Elimelech, his wife, Naomi, and their sons, Malon and Kilion. And we discover two things about them that are important. The first is that they're from Bethlehem. They are described as Ephrathites. That means they're part of the tribe of Benjamin. They're part of one of the the tribes that makes up Israel. In other words, they are God's people. And yet they move to Moab to try and find help and find food. And in fact, that is the third bit of bad news, the very fact that they go to this place, Moab. Because Moab were the sworn enemies of God's people at this time. And it was a place that was notorious for its idol worship. Instead of worshiping the one true living God, these were people who worshiped all kinds of man-made gods. And in fact, if you look at verse 4, this family breaks God's commands about marriage. They allow their sons, Naomi allows her sons to marry two Moabite girls who are girls outside of God's covenant community. And it was not what God desired. It was not what God's law required. And yet, here is the really amazing thing. 
And we're going to see this in such a clear way in the coming weeks, that God works out His purposes through this family, that He even takes their sinful mistakes and uses them for good. Now, hearing that isn't a license to sin. It doesn't mean that I and you can think, oh, well, that's all right. We'll do whatever we feel like because God's got it all sorted anyway. That's not what we're discovering here. But that is a truth that gives incredible hope to repentant sinners, to those who have come to put their trust in the Lord Jesus and have their sin dealt with, him, dealt with by Him. It gives us great confidence and hope when we're maybe weighed down by past sins and mistakes, when we feel so heavily that our past is catching up with us, that God can take those things and even use those for His glory. But then we come to the fourth and the final bit of bad news, and it is the worst news of all. It comes in verses 3 and 5, if you look down through those verses again. Verse 3, we're told Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. But then it continues in verse 5, look at this, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. It doesn't get any worse than this, does it? Think about it, when Naomi's husband died, at least as terrible as that loss was, she had the comfort of her sons. She also had the financial security that sons could bring at that time. But then she had to bury her sons. And as some here know only too well, and I want to be very sensitive in how I talk about this, it is the worst kind of bereavement because it goes against the natural order, doesn't it? It's not what any parent expects to do. And people, that kind of loss can destroy a person. In fact, we get an indication of what it did to Naomi in her life when we see the reaction of her people on her return to her, to her hometown. Look down at verse 19. And as Naomi arrives back into Bethlehem, we're told the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? They can't believe that this is the same person. And yes, of course, she would have physically changed in the 10 plus years since she'd last been home in Bethlehem. There's no doubt about that, as we all do with age. But the reaction of these women implies so much more. It suggests a much more profound change, that this woman, Naomi, aged well beyond her years. In fact, her character changed because of her terrible loss. And sometimes we see this, don't we? We see what loss does to a person. Their spark is gone. You can see it sometimes as a pastor when you're, you're meeting with people. You can see it in their very eyes. And so now we begin to see the name change at the end of this chapter, don't we? We begin to see why Naomi gave herself a new name 
on her return to Bethlehem, when the women were quick to come out and greet her and call her Naomi, why she says in verses 20 and 21, don't call me Naomi, anything but that name. No, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. What a description. I went away full. I hear I'm back among you with nothing at all. And when you understand the meaning of those names in Hebrew and the original language, that not only does Mara, this name that she gave herself, mean bitter, but Naomi's name. Naomi is Hebrew for pleasant. It says it all. And folks, this is another good reason for us to spend time looking at this book, because it is a book that deals with a real family living a real life. And we know that real life is hard and it's painful at times. We experience loss. We see suffering and death being part and parcel of this fallen world. And the wonderful thing about this book, in fact, the wonderful thing about the whole of God's Word, the Bible, is that it is truth, and it deals with the truth, and it always, always tells the truth. It doesn't shy away from the subject of suffering. It's not a book where suddenly we're plunged straight into the bit about Ruth and the man that she meets and how they're brought together. No, it starts with the reality of this family's life. It doesn't try and put a positive spin or cover things up. It lets us see suffering that is raw and real. And it even reports Naomi's bitter complaint about what the Lord has done to her. She's not saying, I went to Moab, and this is what these people have done. No, this is what the Lord has done to me. I had everything, and He's taken it all away from me. Now, as you listen to this today, maybe you're thinking, wow, Philip, I thought you said there was a lot of love for this book and a lot of love in this book. Talk about depressing. This isn't a very hopeful sermon. Well, let's finish by considering what did Naomi need? In fact, what is it that we need in this world, this real world that we remember on this Remembrance Sunday where there is so much pain and suffering and loss? Well, what Gaza needs today, what Israel needs today, what Ukraine needs today, what Connor needs today is hope. And in the coming weeks, we will see how this book of the Bible that starts with so much bad news unfolds into a beautiful story of hope. That's why one Sunday every now and again just doesn't cut it. You need to come back next week and the week after that and the week after that to hear 
this incredible story of hope. And yet, even for us today, right at the end of chapter 1, in a chapter where there seems to be so much bad news, there is a tiny glimmer of hope. Look at how the chapter ends in verse 22, the closing words that as they arrived back, when was it that they returned? When was it that Naomi came back to Bethlehem? Well, there it is at the end of the chapter, as the barley harvest was beginning, a time of famine gave way to a time of growing. And so, let's finish by acknowledging a question that I am often asked, and that is, why do good people suffer? More specifically, why do people who have faith in the Lord Jesus suffer loss and pain? And that's a huge question to lob in at nearly five past one. And we could take a whole series of sermons just to look at that answer, but let's see this for now as we start to journey through this book of Ruth together. At times in our life, it is just not possible for us to see the bigger picture of why we, our loved ones, suffer and go through difficult times in the way that we do. It's just not possible. But it is possible to remember God's promises and to trust His Word to us. So, think back to this story and think back to this moment in chapter 1. It was absolutely impossible for this woman, Naomi, to understand why all this had happened to her. All she could feel was pain at her loss. But we, we get to see the bigger picture. We know what Naomi did not know at this point because we get to see how the story ends. And what we get to see is how the Lord, even in these terrible events, was working in these circumstances to bring about His purposes and good for His people. Ultimately, and this is the, the Christmas bit, this is the bit that we're heading towards in the coming weeks, ultimately, He was bringing Naomi's daughter-in-law into the life of a man who would become her husband, and together they would become part of a family line that would lead all the way to a baby being born in their hometown Bethlehem, a baby who would be the Savior of His people, a baby who would be the hope of the world, Jesus. And it always has to be about Jesus. Because in a world of loss, in a world of pain, in a world of real suffering, real hope is found in Him and Him alone. So that today when we turn to Him, when we trust in Him, when we live for Him, we can say of King Jesus, that He is our only hope in life and death. And we want to sing 